fascia. It's been a little bit of a buzzword in fitness circles recently, but fascia still seems to be this mysterious thing in our body, maybe even a little misunderstood. But if you feel like you're always dealing with pain, tension, body stress, maybe even those constant headaches, it might be really valuable to learn more about your fascia. In fact, I think everybody should. Well, I asked the fascia queen herself to come on the podcast with us this week. Jill Miller has 30 years of experience working with women and movement and pain management, particularly with their fascia and the connection to something else we do thousands of times a day. And we're going to talk about that more at the end. In fact, you're going to get something you can practice right away today. You're going to love Jill. So let's jump in. Being 40 or older can be a struggle with new pains and less energy. If you're determined to be strong, energetic, and feeling great for many years to come, this show is for you. No extremes, just doable self-care tips that will change your life. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Jill, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. This is going to be such a good conversation. And I know every single woman listening is going to tug out a nugget that they can immediately put in practice today. So thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much. So I want to jump in and I heard you interviewed on another podcast recently and you shared a story that was just so powerful. And it was kind of the genesis for how everything you do began. So can you tell us the hamburger bun story, if you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Um, I was in college, I was studying performance in college, and my college roommate was pre-med. Had never known her before, we became the best of friends. And as a performance major, I had access to the Pilates department or the Pilates classes. And I knew how to get her in because if you weren't in the dance or performance place space, you, you had no idea how to navigate like that, those majors. So my roommate would come to me, or come with me to these Pilates classes. And she would always complain about being sore after class. I was never sore ever. And but I had an inkling why my core was never sore. Um, I grew up dealing with a number of different mental health challenges. And when I was 11 or 12, I was always overweight as a kid. When I was 11 or 12, I just stopped eating. That's how I dealt with being teased for being fat. Um, and I didn't have any healthy role model around what what one should, one should do. You're entering prepubescence. So I started starving myself. And what I now know is, you know, I was, I had become anorexic and in college that anorexia had ended, but it, because it was never dealt with in the family. I never dealt with it personally. It morphed into a second eating disorder, bulimia nervosa. And so I would binge and purge. And that was the way that I managed my, I thought I managed my weight. Um, but it's also how I managed intolerable emotions. Um, I just was stuffing myself, starving myself, and then chucking away, you know, whatever I thought was uh, damaging to me while damaging myself. So I had this secret that I was 
bulimic and I was living with bulimia. And in the meantime, I'm in the dance department. I'm doing all the things. And um, I was also studying yoga on the side. I was actually studying massage on the side too. I was into the healing arts. I was trying to find healing for myself, but it, it was a very sort of disorganized way of uh, reaching for mentors, sharing a little bit here, sharing a little bit there, maybe getting pieces. So my roommate was always sore. I was never sore. And I went to a yoga class and I mentioned this fact, these facts to my teacher. I said, I don't, I never get sore in my abs. And I think it's because I'm bulimic, like just offhand. Like, I think it's because I throw up. And she said, well, why don't you lay down on this prop? And she handed me this sandbag that was shaped like a hamburger bun. This was a prop that was in the Iyengar yoga space. They might still use it. It was for headstand. But she said, lay belly down on it and just breathe. And so I did that. I rested my guts on top of this very hard sandbag and tried to breathe and was struck with some of the worst abdominal pain I had ever felt in my life, which I now know as, as visceral pain. Um, but what that moment did for me is that physical pain somehow finally linked up to the emotional pain, the, the, the anguish, the anger, the rage, the self-hatred that I was dealing with day in and day out. And I started to have emotion. I actually started to cry. And not just cry, but I also was connecting the pain to what I'd been doing to myself for the last decade of my life in order to cope. And and as uncomfortable as it was and as miserable it was, I knew there was something there. And so what I started to do every morning in my dorm room is I would roll up a hand towel and I would shape it into a hamburger bun shape or like a honey bun. Yeah, so this is the hamburger bun. Sir. And make it look like a hamburger bun or a honey bun. I was from originally from the South, from New Orleans. So we had this thing called honey buns. And I would move it all around my abdomen and breathe into different areas of my guts and go on this quest. And, and that tool became an amplifier for my deep feels. And that was my way out of the bulimia. I had to go through my body to get answers because talk therapy, Megan, as, as well as SSRIs, they weren't working. I couldn't stop the behavior, which is what you know, my, my therapist, of course, wanted me to do, but I, I couldn't stop it. But it wasn't until I met that pain and was able to um, start to befriend myself and then started to mend slowly but surely. And so this, my, my new book is called Body by Breath. And so this quest through the body to be able to get answers to my mental health, because mental health does not live in your head. It is a body-wide experience and to not acknowledge or to continue to disavow the parts of you that you might be punishing, running from, from overtraining, undertraining, um, working your way around. Like this is to, for me, the lifelong quest of getting to know oneself. It's so beautiful. And I, you know, I have a, a similar story of, of college. I think why is it all boil up in college? I think all of our insecurities were, were thrown into this 
like mishmash of other women that we start to compare ourselves to and our insecurities come to the surface. And we feel like the solution is just try to make ourselves as skinny as possible. And, and so we have this really fractured relationship with our own body and we don't realize like how much of that is being held in our physical tissues. And it's so amazing that you were able to discover this connection with your body by actually touching it like that in a way and connecting from the inside with the breath. And, you know, I hear so many women say a lot that they just feel stuck you know, whether feeling stuck feels like, you know, I just feel tight and feel stuck, or I feel stuck with the goals that I have for myself, or I just feel stuck in general. Like everything, when I think about my body, I just feel like it's all just stuck. Like it's not how I want it to be. And is that a word that you feel like you can kind of personally identify with and and maybe how that has come into play with your breath and fascial work in particular? I can definitely relate to feeling like you're caged. I mean, for me, it's being like caged, <laughs> like, like what a horrible word, but that's, I guess that's the same thing, but just a different metaphor for me that the cage is very dimensional. The work that I do is I integrate self myofascial release, which if your listeners aren't familiar is basically self massage. It's using um, tools and very, um, uh, tender tools. I don't believe me. I don't lay on sandbags on my belly anymore, folks. I actually have a very gushy, delicious air filled ball called a gorgeous ball that is designed for <laughs> designed for the, the task. Um, but these, the, the tool, the exploration through massage means movement. So, you know, movement, you teach movement, I teach movement also, but I also teach people to move those stuck stiff parts that those recalcitrant parts, those parts of them that haven't been moved by life um, and probably for good reason, right? There's, there's guarding that one might have needed to do to protect, uh, to keep what's theirs or to keep things in place uh, to control one's world. And really the only way to, I think really, you know, grow is to be able to, let, you know, to let go and to let the world, to let the world in and to also insert and include yourself into the world, into the worlds of other people. That's how we grow um, as relate, relate, we're relational people. And so getting out of one's own head, which is where we usually are most stuck, I think is served by gently prodding your body in, in novel ways that, that truly deploy neuroplastic changes all over your body. And what I mean by that is when you start to include uh, movement or palpation, palpation is touch in different parts of your body that have been undertouched, undersensed, underused, you literally will start to think differently about your dimensionality, like about your body within its space. So I think that's one of the, the things that people are drawn to my work is because it is very creative um, and they just start to, to feel very different in the, the experience of embodiment and the experience of their body. Um, I'm a junkie for that. Like I I'm, I'm not like jump off a cliff type of gal. Like you're not going to find me doing dangerous feats, but on my mat or in the gym, like I'll do very strange things to create a novel way of appreciating or, or being in my own skin. I think that's so 
so cool because I think for a lot of women, they, they come to their mat, they come to their workout space with just this, like, here's a box I need to check for the day. I got to force myself to just do these movements and get on with my day and assume that that's benefiting me as much as possible. But Often I find myself saying to women, like, what if you did like half of what you're trying to accomplish and you just did it really slow and so mindfully where you're paying such close attention to like each tiny like movement and the touch of it, your body awareness can just like go through the roof and then you can progress. (laughs) Yes. And and that honestly, like that is one of the really cutting edge uh, places within research that I find really intriguing um, is this development of body sense and not just like, oh, where are my joints, but also um, physiological listening, which is known as, as interoception. So we have these different ways that we process our senses. And um, I know this is going to sound really pat and can, but developing our senses actually makes us more sensitive in terms of our, our empathy, our emotion. And if a lot of your listeners are moms, like it really helps to be able to, uh, you know, growing your own sensory garden in your body makes you a, a more apt at having stable interactions, being able to assess your own and other people's emotions. Um, This is uh, much of the work of Cynthia Price. I I list all of these researchers in my book. I'm absolutely in love with it. And I I had this conversation on Instagram the other day with uh, a a really cool um, doctor. But I do think that the next wave of challenges in Uh, especially younger populations, but I see it happening in folks my own age too, are our sensory integration challenges because we have become um, connected through media and tech more for more of our days and more of our, more of the hours of our days than we are interacting with other bodies, other humans. It's one thing I love about teaching bodies. Like I'm teaching bodies in a room and we're working together. And why is that novel? Like, why is that the special part of my day when the other 10 hours or eight hours are facing a, a screen? It's almost like our world has become so like in physical. I don't know if that's a word. Like it's, it's like, it's losing its physicality. And those moments where we can like become physical again, where we where we experience our body from the inside, we experience it through touch, we go outside, we smell, we listen, we hear, like all of those things that brings us back to that physicality. And that's where we like feel fed and we grow. And it's just so, so beautiful. So let's get practical here. So can you explain to us what fascia is? Stop for just a second. Is your core a hot mess right now? (laughs) I know that's kind of a personal question, but if you feel like your core muscles are squishy and they can't fire and like they're just non-existent and maybe even because of that, you've been experiencing back pain and posture issues and just this general lack of confidence in your body, then I want to invite you to join me for my free five-day core tune-up. 
Unfortunately, most other core training strategies out there just target your abs and give you a bunch of like high burn ab exercises that end up hurting you in the long run. So I wanna show you something completely different. In my five-day core tune-up course, I am gonna lead you through the exact movements that your entire core needs to engage properly and function at its best. And we're gonna do it in less than 10 minutes a day with no equipment needed at all, which is amazing. So by the end of these five days, you will feel your core muscles. You will feel your hips and your glutes. You're also going to have this arsenal of knowledge and body awareness for how to adjust the posture of your core throughout the day. And most importantly, you're going to finally experience hope for your core again. This five-day core tune-up course, it's entirely free. Just go to fivedaycore.com to sign up and I will send you the day one video right away. Strong core, here you come. Fascia is this, this, the small definition. I like to call fascia your seam system. It, it is the fibers and fluids that connect you from cell to skin and everything in between. Fascia is a, a, a knitting fabric that suspends all of your cells and it and is able to interconnect them. Most people are familiar with uh, fascia from meat butchery. So if you take a look at, um, you know, a cut of meat, you'll see this white marbling throughout. Now there is the fat that is a part a fat. Uh, some fats are included in the, the fascial network in and of itself, but the fascia is very membranous. Sometimes it's tougher. Uh, if you've ever, eaten chicken and you removed the the skin of the chicken, then there's this kind of elastic membrane between the meat and the skin. You know, that kind of elasticy, and then it just dissolves and it disappears and it goes away. It's so ephemeral and translucent and magical. Well, that's running all over your body, within your body, and your fascial tissues are extremely nerve rich. They're loaded with sensory neurons. Those membranes are linking muscle to muscle to muscle to muscle, which allows you to feel that your inner, your whole body is like lined with internal elastobands, right? So we can, we can see that in action, in dissection. You can actually look at these giant continuities of this incredible elastic material. But this material is also threading its way inside your muscles and, and this fascia is surrounding every single muscle cell you have. So this is giant, continuous, what my friend Tom Myers call it, it wetsuit. There's this elastic wetsuit in your body. It's like a wrapper. Uh, it's like a, it's like this, like a wrapper, but it's also like intertwined. It's like everywhere. It's, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a sensory. It is also a wrapper, but it's also suspending your organs. And there's so many different things to discuss in terms of uh, layers of fascia and all that. But so can me, it get yeah. like, can fascia get tight and then loose? Like, is it something, because I hear people say like, my fascia is really tight. Is that an accurate statement? It's not an inaccurate statement. We can refine the statement. So your your fascia goes along for the ride for what your muscles do and what your posture does. You have these cells within fascia called fibroblasts, and they are pressure and stretch sensitive. And so if your life is sitting in front of a computer, kind of you know hunched over, 
your the cells within your fascia are going to get the signal that, oh, this is the shape I need to maintain. And so it will grow the connective tissue in such a way. And all, by the way, your muscles are adapting to this as well. So, and your bones are also adapting to this. So all of these, all of these systems are adapting to the forces of position of gravity um, and the stresses that you have on your body, both physically and internally, your emotional, the emotional forces that are shaping you as well. So, um, in the case of like tight fascia, let, we can take uh, upper cross syndrome as a, as a classic example for listeners who aren't familiar with upper cross syndrome. This just describes the posture that I was sharing with you that's sort of hunched over in the upper back, your shoulders roll forward, your head actually has to look up in order to see forward. And then you're going to also have a lot of shortening in the hips, uh, the front of the hips, just from from that hunch. But if I have a lot of, if I have really short, tight chest muscles from leaning forward, that means I'm actually going to have overstretched upper back muscles. And I'm also going to have overstretched upper trap muscles, right? Excuse me, as well as the fascial tissues that surround and interpenetrate all of these tissues. And so um, because of for example, the position of that forward head posture that comes along with upper cross, many people have extremely rigid connective tissue throughout their trapezius um, because all day long, the muscle within the fascia of the trapezius is trying to lift your head up. So there's a lot of constant contraction going on in order for that to happen. But one of the magical things about fascia it, like I said, the fascia is adapting to the position. And so because the fascial tissues are sensing this hanging position, there will be more buildup of fibrous fascia like an exoskeleton to be able to support the head so that the muscles actually don't have to do all the work. So the fascia is collaborating. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, the exoskeleton makes a lot of sense. And so one of the things that we like to do in the fascia, um, uh, massage space or a fascial mobility space is to try to improve the, the, the motion, the natural motion within the fascial tissue. And so we can do that with friction. In my case, I use roll model balls and I create rolling actions that in a variety of different ways to address um, kind of that stuck stiffness that is going, that is going in tandem with the muscles as well. Um, and so we can do different application approaches to try to mobilize and soften and then really the, the ideal is that we step in with proper movements, Megan, that you train and that I train so that people learn to keep their head on top of their rib cage instead of having their head fall in front of their rib cage. And so there's a remodeling approach that also needs to happen along with manipulating the fascia in multiple ways. But we need to tell the cells to stop laying down um, too much uh, too many, too much fibers that we no longer need. So then myofascial release or self-myofascial release, what is that doing in that moment when you're on the ball or maybe someone, all they have at home is like a foam roller. That's pretty common these days. But so what is happening? Is it breaking up knots? Is it releasing the tension between the muscles? Like what is going on when we're doing that self-myofascial release? 
totally depends on the application. So I also wrote, I'm a real nerd. So I wrote a chapter in a book called Fascia Function and Medical Applications. This is a medical textbook. So close your ears if you don't want to hear like la, 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 la. Right. And so, um, so I wrote a chapter for this uh, medical textbook on self myofascial release. So I'm like deep in this stuff. I love it so much. Um, in terms of, of, you know, what is it doing? There are so many benefits to applying a tool to your structure. And I would caution anybody listening, make sure that the tool you're using is soft because when you use a hard tool, uh, one of the first, uh, reflexes that occur when you push uh, something into a body is your body will go into a defense mode. It'll go into a, bra a bracing mode. And this is called the uh, muscle spindle response. The, the, the brain is so smart. It does not want you to get hurt. And so if it senses there's like a super hard foam roller or a super hard ball, your muscles involuntarily are going to contract and that's further making you anxious or amplified or tight by the way and you can't do therapeutic rolling against an unconsciously contract like that unconscious contraction you're just rolling against your own tension and the intention for most people with self-myofascial release is to relax or to unwind a stiff tissue or so on so we need to first address that um, you want to use a tool that's compliant with your body. And so soft tools are supreme for that. So when a tool can actually merge with your body and you're not having this, these alarm bells go off, you're not going into this sort of shock response, um, then the tool initially acts like a micro stretcher of that tissue, right? So it's creating a local stretch in tissues that may not actually be moved very well by a broader stretch, a joint to joint, a joint to joint stretch, or some type of, of exercise that you might be engaging in. You know, for example, in the in the illustration of the trapezius, you, your brain might have said, "Look, I need these, I need these fifteen um, sections of the of the trap, these motor units dedicated to." Um, just kind of being in spasm to keep my head up. So that leaves me with 30% left of my muscle to actually do contractions for me. So, so what we're trying to do, or what I think is best practice is I want to try to turn off that unconscious muscle bracing that my brain has been sending to the muscle to say, um, keep this woman in this position at all times. Right. And, and by the way, that's called resting tone. So the tool is going to address stretch locally in tissues and, and that can help adjust this chronic, miserable resting tone that we all have, like walking around with rocks in our necks and our shoulders. And those are those knots that you're referring to because in, in those con chronically contracted areas, it's not just the muscles that are tight. Um, you're going to have a lot less turnover and circulation of cell, cell death and the debris that accumulates when you have these chronic contractions. And so um, the, the balls then can also act like a flusher outer of cellular waste, lymph, um, that just gets built up. And you can even feel that in a, in a kind of a knot. When you touch it, it feels stingy to the touch. So that's the inflammatory cytokines that are just hanging around. So we can use the balls to kind of wash through and improve um, circulation on every level. And there's many different levels of circulation. We won't get into that. Um, and then 
in terms of the um, some of the neural, like the nerve ending stuff that I alluded to earlier, when you start to roll a tissue, it improves your sense of that tissue. So you're like, yeah, I know I have a quad, but until you like really roll it in detail, it, I, I guarantee you, you've missed a lot of your quads in your exercises because there's. there's because the things, the, the tissues in there aren't actually moving very well, even at a local level. The muscle cells should have some motion betwixt them, and they don't because they're so many of them are just chronically um, contracted, or the fascial tissues have adapted to a certain position. So anyway, um, we get this improvement of the sensory aspects of a tissue, and when your brain gets an improvement of sensory information, it improves your brain's ability to help create contractions in that muscle. And in fact, the force output is greater. So all this to say, when you roll, you improve your ability to contract a muscle. Now, if we're trying to get strong, if we're trying to get hypertrophy, if we're trying to get, you know, you know, improve our weight, you know, our weight and the ability to tolerate reps. If we roll first, we're going to be stronger and we're going to sense our body better. That means we'll have better position and we'll be less prone to accident and injury because we're more aligned or, uh, you know, or our body is in a more harmonious uh, arrangement. So there's so many, I mean, there's so many more. I could. So many things that are going on in the moment, like with that myofascial release. I mean, really what you're saying is like, the benefits are, the list of benefits are huge. It's so worth doing. And even like that body awareness of making that connection from your brain to a muscle. And I know so often when I'm coaching women through a movement pattern, the more they can like touch that body part, and the more they know how to turn it on, how to push into that spot, how to use that muscle more. So that is so, so beneficial. But I want to move on to the breath component because I think that this is super important um, because we said it for, you said it earlier that we have a tendency to just clench. And I know that in that moment when we're clenching, <laughs> what else are we probably also doing is holding our breath. And why do we do that? Why do we hold our breath? And like, how is that counterproductive when we're trying to do this myofascial work? Like, I feel like probably the worst thing to do is pull out a really hard tool, roll on top of it while you're gritting and, and holding your breath and you're not actively trying to be a blob on it, right? You're, you're just like, <laughs> like, that's so counterproductive, right? Like, why, why is the breath part so important? Your, your breathing is this incredible facile tool that we have available to us all day, every day. Um, breathing happens whether you know what's happening or not. It comes and goes. It is the primal movement of your body. But the cool thing about breathing is you can also control it. And when you control it, it is literally opening keys to the kingdom within your body and your brain. And one of the chief things that you can accomplish when you're rolling is entering into a more relaxed state, a more recovery state, what's known as a parasympathetic dominant state. And that's where healing occurs. Healing doesn't occur in the breath holding, you know, uh, yeah, grind it out thing. I mean, that there's a time and a place for that. But in terms of getting um, therapeutic 
depth of touch, you're not going to get that if your body's on guard. And so your breathing acts as a, as a, as a major foundational tool to help you enter into stages of quiet and receptivity, dare I say it, vulnerability, so that you can get in contact with yourself at depth. And I mean at depth on every level, depth of the tool, depth of your feelings, depth of your insight, um, and enter into states of tranquility that, that are profoundly healing and are bolstering to your resilience because you, you cannot fill if you haven't emptied and breathing is a great model of that um, because people who are just over breathing and breathing on top of their breath and you can hear me, I'm filling and filling and filling, but I haven't yet emptied so that I can fill. And I feel like it's always in those exhales where you feel the release, you can get that muscle to release the tension. And I've even started over the years because I know for forever, you we've been taught to hold a stretch for 30 seconds, you know, 60 seconds or whatever, which is, which is coming from the personal trainer world or the PT world, not so much the yoga world. Um, but boy, I have completely changed my tune and said, no, we're going to hold that breath. We're going to hold that stretch for six deep breaths. We're going to time it with breaths because then I know for certain that you're paying attention to the breath in the moment and that we're getting an exhale and you're not just sitting there doing those shallow inhales and making your muscles tight, 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 tenser. And it's just not producing the effect that we want. So when we're rolling or stretching, can you walk us through just real quick, like guide us through the me mechanics of a good breath? Like what should we be thinking of? Is it coming in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, in through the out through the nose? Like what, what are we thinking about? Can you walk us through a good deep breath? For, first of all, nose breathing is preferred if you're trying to go into a, a sedated state. When you're very, very amplified, mouth breathing uh, can be ideal because you need very quick bursts of energy. And that's uh, that mouth breathing is connected to uh, uh, some other features that help you to get a big push. But, also, but for relaxation response, for the relaxation response, if the nose is not occluded, use the nose all the time, both for in and out. Um, uh, I talk about in my book, Body by Breath, three zones of respiration. And the zones of respiration give you a sense of, of how the diaphragm, which is your chief breathing muscle, how the diaphragm behaves as it relates to your stress response. And so uh, the most relaxing breath known to our body occurs in what I call zone one, and that's the stuff below the rib cage. Sometimes this is called a belly breath, um, but I think it's a, a mis it's definitely a misnomer because the diaphragm, when it moves down during inhale, and that's what it does, it lives in your rib cage. But when you're taking a quote unquote, a deep breath, your diaphragm contracts and it pushes downward, which makes your gut swell. But it also, if you have good elasticity, which hopefully you're doing rolling work and it will help your, your waist expands, your low back expands, and even your pelvic floor, because as the diaphragm descends, the pressure of it um, expands the stuff below like a balloon. Okay. And then exhale should take care of itself. Um, exhale typically takes care of itself. We can exaggerate the exhale and, and, and slow it down deliberately. And that is also um, very beneficial. Um, and to get the most relaxation, 
out of a zone one breath, we actually want to try to make our exhale a little bit longer than inhale. And the reason for that is neurological. There's a nerve called the vagus nerve. And when you extend your exhalations longer and longer, um, the vagus nerve is able to fire upon the heart and slow the heart rate down. So it's just a really simple and elegant formula for your listeners to think about. Just make my exhale a little bit longer than the inhale I just breathed in. And the next one, a little bit longer than the inhale was. Um, zone two breathing happens with the diaphragm and the rib cage. So the ribs should be able to flutter up on inhale and they should be able to butterfly wing back down on exhale. And if we're living only in a zone two breath pattern, we will be in a more sympathetically uh, high charge state, kind of a go state. I mean, you need that for athleticism but it's not really the best for your deep relaxation practice. A zone three breath is the type of breath that you'll see in asthmatics. You'll see this in people struggling to get air in. Um, at the end of a race, you'll see shoulders lift up. You'll hear, it'll be audible, you'll hear friction in the throat. Often it'll be through the mouth. Um, and that is not a tenable breath pattern, um, it, it, except if you're trying to run out away from a gunshot, like you will have an involuntary right? Stress response, but we'll also have a zone three breath in case of delight or, you know, that kind of animated. So it's a part of our breathing apparatus, but it should be very short-lived um, and used, you know, seldom. So the, the most relaxing breath is going to be a zone one or a blend of zone one, zone two, depending on the context for it. So when we're rolling and we're doing the fa fascial work, it's probably, if we have the, you know, at first it's probably okay to just start with something super simple of just rolling over the ball, but then to get to the point where, okay, now I'm going to do this and then also connect a good, good zone one breath with that and try to practice that. Um, and I know that that's probably, it might take someone a few weeks to just live in that land. Yeah. And what I, I mean, Megan, I've taught this for so long. And what I have also found is there are people who are, who have breath induced anxiety. So when you tell them to breathe, they automatically go into kind of a zone two, zone three, they become very self-conscious about their breathing and the breath inhibits them. The breath awareness inhibits them from deep breathing. So, um, this is addressed, um, in the, in the book a little bit. Um, there are other ways, I think, to trick your body into accepting breathing without, without sculpting the breathing. So I'm really sensitive to those people that are like, I know I'm supposed to breathe, but I just can't. <laughs> and so um, yeah. what's great about the tools, especially something like the gorgeous ball, is it gives you pressure feedback. And that, that is typically something people can work with because it gives them it gives them a rep. It gives them something achievable. And then over time it will end up toggling the nervous system in such a way that they're able to actually withstand a, a bypass this breath-induced anxiety that can pop up. It's really interesting. Well, Jill, I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, Definitely. I feel like we could go like so deep <laughs> together on this stuff. But just to wrap up, um, what's like one big takeaway that you would hope like the woman that's listening right now to be like, okay, now go on and do this. Like what is one tip that you would want to give her today? Oh, I'd love for her to get down 
on the ground. And if she doesn't have a ball, like a gorgeous ball to roll up a yoga mat and use a yoga mat, much like, uh, much like I did with that initial bean bag, but I wouldn't tell you to lay on your belly because it's freaking painful. So lay on your side waist or lay the, the, uh, a rolled up blanket or a rolled up pillow. It should have pressure into you laid on the side of your ribs and just practice I'm feeling the motion of breathing against the tool, whether it's on your waist for like zone one or in your ribs for zone two. And, and as you do that, notice if, if you want to kind of use your neck, shoulder, or jaw muscles to do that. So we're going to start to train the behavior of the breath and become aware of that. And the tool is going to work magic into the layers of muscle and fascia that are affiliated with respiration. And you get so many wonderful side effects um, to doing this type of work. Well, this is definitely one more tool that we can stick in our toolkit of feeling so good in our body and just being able to go through the day and being like, I feel good. I just feel good. I love that so much. Well, Jill, where can we go to grab your book? Yes. Um, There are uh, lots of things available for free on my website, tunafitness.com. Um, some other conversations, uh, there's articles. That's where you get the therapy balls. My books are easily available on Amazon. My first book was called The Role Model. So if you're like, I just want to learn a role, I want to roll my feet, that's the book you want to get. If you want to learn more about the the trunk-related stuff, this torso core breathy diaphragm thing that Meg and I were talking about, that's body by breath. And then if you want something to put into practice uh, immediately, um, I know that one of your guests is a really good friend of mine, Doc Jen Fabroni, and I just did a program called Roll Into Hit. And um, we pair self-myofascial release with her brilliant HIT practice. And I think it's a really good mashup because it gives you that high sympathetic and that very deep, low parasympathetic um, resilient resilience formula. But there are some other, there's other programs on my website as well. My own online classroom called Move, Breathe, Roll. So there's lots of places to learn this from me. Um, and of course, Instagram, the Jill Miller. That's how I've, I, I know you, you're, feet is amazing. I love, I love how you talk to your people. It's great. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm going to make sure everything is linked below in the show notes, everybody. Thank you, Jill. I'm, I'm super inspired and we, we just appreciate you spending time with us today and we can't wait to have you back. <laughs>